welcome to the Property Portfolio Podcast with Mark Stokes and Nigel Green. Every week we inspire and guide you towards success in the world of property development, mentorship and fundraising. Before we jump into today's episode, a reminder to join us at equacademy.co.uk where you can gain free access to hundreds of videos and templates to help you on your property development journey. Well, good morning and welcome, everybody, to the next episode of Breakfast with Nigel and Mark. Good morning, Nigel. Good morning, Mark. How are you today? Very well, indeed. Very well. And really looking forward to this morning's episode, because we're going to be talking about one of our favourite subjects, due diligence. Due diligence, yes. (laughs) It's a great, very broad subject, but uh, we're going to try and uh, bounce across the surface, aren't we, just to give everybody a bit of a bit of an insight really uh probably from different perspectives as well you know from whether you're the developer the investor the bank maybe even the trustee um so i think that's going to be really good yeah as as you say it's just uh it's just woven into the fabric of, of everything we do and um you know that great phrase walk a mile in somebody else's shoes understanding the due diligence they're doing on us yeah um well, those two words we use time and time again. I mean, they're core to the your, your amazing equity. Eh? You know, it's that simulate and anticipate, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that Absolutely. preparedness. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, what what does what does due diligence mean? Well, it's you know, if you look in the purest term, it's it's an investigation, an audit, or a review, depending on what level. You know, you're looking in, so it's 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 really an opportunity to challenge everything, isn't it? You know, challenge the numbers, challenge the exit, challenge the, you know, the counterparty. Let's say in, in an agreement, it's really important. And um, as you say, look through the lens of other parties. Um, you know, for you know, get, getting references and all those sorts of things is is really part of this process. But, uh, but yeah, yeah. I, I remember when um, when I wrote our first book, uh, Commercial to Residential Conversions, I, I referred to it as a bank grade due diligence, and um, and and somebody uh, they contacted me. In fact, they put a post. It was a bit of a, shall we say, a bit of a pointed post actually. Uh, a comment on one of the posts as as why why bank grade due diligence? What's all that about? You know, nobody's got any respect for the banks after 2009, 10, and da da da, and kind of went off on one, really. Um, but, you know, it is bank grade due diligence. But for most people out here, unless the due diligence stands the test of scrutiny, that deal will not go ahead, will it? No, no, it won't. No, absolutely. Won't, won't, won't be fundable. Most people want the banks to fund it. So if your deal doesn't stack up and, uh, you know, what's at risk if that deal doesn't stack up? If your deal falls over before you get to exchange and completion, it's money. Yeah, it's yeah. your money, it's your seed capital. And and that can be, I mean, let's, let's just look at that seed capital that's at risk. I mean, we don't put investors' money at risk there. That's that's our personal seed capital. And we we treat that pretty precious. We've worked a lifetime to... Uh, create our, our capital and we're going to preserve it as as tight as we can absolutely you know and, and unless the work's been done you know the in terms of a deal or an investment opportunity the analysis is sound um unfortunately uh i mean positively from a you know going the distance and ensuring you make 
the returns that you're looking for. It's very positive, but um, if if the DD is not there in the first place, you're going to get caught out. And, and it's probably going to be um, at the bank due diligence point. So, so there's no better way, really, of, as you say, you know, anticipate the questions, you know, walk a mile in their shoes, you know, do your DD almost as if you are the bank. And then you just get into a place where you, if you understand the methodology of that valuation, you're just getting yourself into a place where it, everything becomes more assured. Um, and at the end of the day, Mark, you're quite right. You know, the seed capital, you know, it is a seed, but my goodness, if you have multiple seeds fall over, you could be talking into tens to hundreds of thousands of pounds of, of just complete waste and money. And um, I'm, I'm sure I know you and I, and, and I'm sure all of our listeners today, you know, don't want to be losing a single penny. Um, so DD is a, a part of that protection mechanism um, and it has to be done. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, so let's maybe just consider what, what those costs are that um, could be at, at risk. Um, if we don't do our due diligence, right. Um, you, you mentioned valuation, RICS Red Book valuation. That's importantly for anybody listening. That's, that's almost always going to be appointed by the bank. You might have a, a choice on one of their bank valuation panel members, but uh, yeah, that cost will be dependent on quite often the GDV of the development, won't it? Um, but we've seen costs from what a thousand pound to ten thousand pounds. It can be, my mind, you we are, we are dealing with projects from you know a million GDV to twenty million GDV, um, but a, a pretty significant cost. Um, and as soon as, as soon as we get a yes, the first party we're going to be instructing is our solicitor. They're going to be doing searches. You know, the, the meter starts ticking, doesn't it? It does. It does, absolutely. So if you say, you know, 1000 to £10,000 for the VAL, the valuation, RICS Red Book, um, on behalf of the bank, um, and uh, the solicitor's ticking away as well, you know, uh, I mean, we we always kind of send a check for a thousand pound, don't we, for searches? So that's that's out the door and never returning. <clears throat> and um, you know, once we once evaluations done, generally we we get straight into the monitoring survey, so the QS, um, who again will be appointed to, by the bank, and that could be anything from a couple of grand to six seven thousand pounds. You know, so you'd. You know, you're looking down the barrel of a you know seven to fifteen thousand pound hole if you've kind of got your DD wrong, um, because it will it will be caught it will be checked up, um, and every single every single number that you know you've analysed, you've looked at value, you've looked at cost. You know, these these parties have got their professional indemnity on the line, and they're going to question everything. And this is why we we urge our, our mentees, Mark, don't we, to create an evidence file. You know, create an evidence file, and and in some cases it's a one-off because you can, yeah, for instance, like the solicitor, um, if you if you do a deal or ask them for a fee proposal at the front end, they'll give you an indication linked to value of what their fees would be. So that's really easy. Goes in the file. The next one, you know, what what is a ground survey? How much does that cost? Well, you might get a little bit of a range there, but put them in the file. You know, so so if ever questioned, any single number, be prepared. And and rich, literally, it's the two-minute test. If you can, um, you know, respond to a request from a third party, 
for evidence of, um, for instance, Nigel, how did you get to this number? And if I can't turn around in two minutes with a few clicks and send them the detail, uh, the DD is not there. So that's what, what I mean. It's, it's so important to, to have that, to have that evidence. You know, and we know due diligence is an investigation, it is an audit, and it is a review. And, you know, we've got to be prepared to respond to any questions that are raised. It just demonstrates, doesn't it, that we're not in property, we're in business. The business may have a hard asset class underlying, but we're in business. So that business acumen is incredibly important. So we mentioned a couple of things there. Um, and and you can gain access to uh, to, to even more detail and, and resource. Um, if you go to equacademy.co.uk, you can sign up for a whole raft of, of complementary resources, videos, and templates, uh, and also the recordings of these. We're about to go live on the podcast in the next couple of weeks, so you can listen to these at your leisure. Um, but if you go to equacademy.co.uk, um, there is a recording that we did of the role of the monitoring surveyor. And um, we went quite in depth, didn't we, in one of the breakfast webinar sessions? I think it was uh, early October. It was. Um, yeah, many are aware of valuation and uh, potential risk of down valuation, but the monitoring surveyor is lurking there in the background, and they have a you know real fundamental um, uh, defining outcome on what the bank decide to uh, to issue with their final uh, term sheet. Um, so that's something you really need to understand. So go into ecoacademy.co.uk and download that uh, monitoring surveyor one, and that will give you another whole different layer uh, of due diligence that is going to be done. And you need to anticipate that. You need to be ready. And that's we're talking build costs. We're talking about program. Um, we're talking about constructability. We're talking about planning conditions. We're talking about all aspects, utilities, um, structural warranties, all these elements um, are all going to be key. And the second point, um, that, the first point being uh, um, the role of monitoring sphere and where you can find more information, um, is uh, you know that that word audit, the audit file. And I know many of our, our listeners um, are also SAS trustees, as as indeed are, are we. And uh, thank you so much, everybody, by the way, for for the uh, supporting the book launch, uh, Property and SAS Secrets, last Friday. That was just fantastic. And uh, uh, to see the book um, surge ahead of, of Elon Musk's book sales in the entrepreneur category was uh, was just incredible. It may have only been for a couple of hours on a Friday, but hey, you know, let's bask in that glory for a few minutes. However, so in the book, if you go to page 238, there's a short chapter on audit file. And if you're a SaaS trustee, um, or indeed if you're a developer working with SaaS trustees, um, due diligence takes on just another order of magnitude as well. Um, you know, you need to be able to walk a mile in the SAS trustee's shoes. If you are a SAS trustee, you need to understand, you know, compliance, rigor, governance. And it quite often comes down to the S word, Nige, doesn't it? Um, structure, 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 structure. And we work pretty much every week with our professional team, fine-tuning the structure of, of how we do these deals. Absolutely. I mean, it, it, you know, it depends. You, you have to think with that end in mind, don't you? 
what the outturn objectives are of the scheme um, and kind of work back. Um, there's always that sprinkling ingredient of tax efficiency and, and all those sorts of aspects. And we rely heavily on uh, you know, our tax advisors. I, I think we're actually going to invite one of our tax advisors to a, to one of the, um, the breakfast sessions, aren't we, in a few weeks? So that, that'll yeah. be a real interesting point around structure in particularly. So uh, we look forward to, to seeing Gavin there. Yeah. Um, yeah, but um, very much so. Start with the end in mind. That kind of defines where we need to go to and where we're starting from. And then we create the structure in the middle with all the necessary compliance measures that sit around it. So so with the, the structure, <coughs> so clearly we want a structure that serves our needs. So you've got a cl- we, we need absolute clarity on our strategy why we're doing a development, what the objective is, what we're trying to achieve, are great. Um, we also need to be able to convey that structure or that strategy into the structure. We then need to be able to convey that structure to the other counterparties. Okay. And counterparty is a bit of a business word, but the other parties to the contract, ultimately, to the development. And and obviously, a big one there is going to be the bank. Um, the uh, The... One of the key parts of, of your professional team will be your commercial finance broker, and they're quite often not given the respect that they need. They are absolutely pivotal. Um, a bit like your accountant, um, we we tell our accountant accountant everything, um, and you need to tell your your uh, finance broker um, everything you know about the deal and how it's structured to enable them to put that structure into the hands of their, their, their banking partners um, so that you get the right appropriate term sheet. Um, so often, you know, we see uh, people come to us and, and they've maybe not conveyed how private capital is going to be brought into a deal. And midway through, you know, getting close to exchange, the bank says, well, we're not funding that. No, exactly. It's unnecessary, isn't it? You know, with careful thought and process and we teach you how to do that. Um, it's essential. Yeah, it's, it's all, it, from a funding point of view, it's almost like the hidden terms are the most most important, actually, because you know everybody focuses on the interest rate, the arrangement fee, maybe, and the exit fee, uh, maybe what the broker's being paid. But you know, <clears throat> take take little regard until the crunch time when they've got to make a decision around maybe on demand clauses, <clears throat> you know, which is something to consider maybe um, the private investment criteria because not all lenders will permit private investment coming in unless maybe there's, there's a shareholding position and, and then that compromises if you're bringing them in on a coupon maybe you know um, you know th- there's also PG levels possibly as well um, and all, all of these all of these kind of hidden below the line components in terms of lending have a fundamental effect on the rate. So if you're, you know, if you've been invited into a world of a fantastic rate, be prepared to see a lot of below the surface clauses that you need to comply with, and they may not actually fit with what your strategy is. Yeah. So it's it's just really important to, I mean, what we tend to do and the way we we advise our uh, our mentees really is to just you know give as you say, Mark, just you know warts and all, give it to the. Give it to your your um, your broker. Um, tell them exactly what you're looking for. The, you know, the fundamentals within your 
your deal and the analysis and, you know, the key points you're very interested to hear about. Um, because that will avoid his time wasting. Because if he goes to market and gives you 20 options, but actually the reality is there's, there's 18 that just don't comply with your strategy, then you've just wasted his time and wasted everybody's time. So just be very specific in what you're looking for. And then the four or five that you get back um, that are broadly compliant with your, your high-level requirements, you can then do a leveling test. So you can line them side by side, you know, item by item, understand all the various specific clauses and and PGs. Okay, we've got PGs, which is kind of, it's one of our necessary evils. You know, what level of PG? Is it 100% of the value? Is it 20% of the value? Well, until you ask the question, we don't know because it's not generally what's circulated at the point of just a general inquiry. Um, So all, all these points are very, very, very important from a, uh, selecting the right uh, product, but you, yeah, you're right. Absolutely, hugely important. And I, I think there's a fundamental mindset issue, which, which I think maybe will be really helpful to our listeners um, this morning. And that's that if you think of your experience, so many people undervalue the experience they've got. They think, well, I haven't done a development before, or I haven't done many, or I haven't done this type of development before. Um, Look, you know, you've been on this planet a fairly long period of time. You know, you're seasoned. You're a seasoned practitioner, maybe in business. So, bringing that, bringing that strength and confidence to bear, um, developers, I, I find quite often they get the begging bowl out and they look up to funders, saying, you know, can can you please fund this deal? Look, everybody's on your same level. You're not raising, you're not tilting your head and looking up at anybody, and you're certainly not looking down on anybody either. You know, th- this is just business to business transactions. And I thought you'd just put that really well, Nigel. The way um, you might go out to tender for three or four uh, contractors, and you want those three compliant bids. Well, exactly the same for for your funders. But when you go out to a contractor for your tender. You're damn sure you make you make damn sure that you know exactly what the specification is you're looking for, and that's the confidence in your business model. Know your economic equation. Know your strategy. Know what you will accept, what you won't accept. Let your broker know that, and then they will go to market for compliant um, uh, term sheets. For you know, so consider it as a, a tendering exercise. Um, because it is, it's, it's a process and, uh, and there is also a negotiation. If you're going to Kent Reliance looking for, uh, funding for a, a, a two bed apartment, you're not going to get a great deal of negotiation, um, in that process. But when you're in the world of, of commercial finance, development finance, work with your broker. Um, and utilize the experience, the capacity that you've got, the business acumen. And and you'll be surprised how you can dig and delve and and maybe get some favourable terms. Nigel, that's kind of welcome to our world, isn't it? We do that on a very regular basis, and the banks appreciate that. Mm-hmm. They do appreciate having candid, rigorous debate. Um, and the more you ask questions, intelligent questions, the more you'll be able to walk a mile in their shoes and understand where they're coming from. And hey, that's all learning and and. You never know, Nige, some of that learning goes into version 59 or version 60 of the Equidea. 
<laughs> it does. Surprise, surprise. There's a few other additions going into version 59 at the moment, actually, which is uh, just, as I say, just under test, but uh, nearly there. But I, the trouble is, I, I, I keep saying it's under test and I, I need to get it out there. But when I'm just about to ready to launch, something else comes in. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, we, you know, it's, it's certainly taking great shape. And some of these points, you know, are starting to filter through into the, the DA process or the development analyzer. Um, just it's at, what does it do, Mark? It's asking questions, isn't it? It's, yeah. it's asking questions, and it's just making sure, even the even if the answer to the question is not applicable on this occasion, that's great because it's asked the question, you've thought about it, and you've derived that it's not particularly a- applicable in this occasion. But the worst case scenario is, you know, you, you kind of stack a deal, you, you've got your value, you've got your cost. And then you get into it and the value comes along with the QS and said, you've missed out quite a fundamental cost here. Oh, right. Forgot about that. Sorry. You know, so so this is really the, the, the key point. Absolutely. And I think I think just on valuation and uh, QS reports, um, yes, we accept we've got to pay for them on behalf of the bank, um, but, but do ask for them. You know, uh, do ask for them. I don't think they'll readily offer them to you because it's it's been constructed on behalf of the bank. So the value are going out to site or the QS going to site to do their respective reports. You're not their client. So they're always going to just report up to their client with the, the finished product. But ask for it. Absolutely ask for it. And you make sure you've got that in your in your file that could be pulled out at any any particular point in time. So yeah, we have had su- success from time to time where, um, you know, we, we'll ask the the valuer um, if we can see a draft copy of the report before it goes to the bank. Once it goes to the bank, the valuer is going to be pretty reluctant to make any any changes. You know, your credibility and uh, professional pride at stake. Yeah. If you can secure a draft so that you can have a quick look at it just to make sure there's no conflicting information and... Uh, uh, and and you've got everything you you actually need. You're in a helpful capacity, not in a checking capacity. Yeah. Um, you can find that can be particularly helpful. And you may be able to head things off at the pass, but you may need a relationship with your broker there as as well. So sometimes that's possible. Sometimes it's not. Uh, and likewise, of course, with the the, the monitoring surveyor. Um, you know, you're always going to be meeting these the monitoring surveyor or the the valuer. Um, and uh, you know, conveying the the due diligence that that you're doing. Um, and I know you use the the Equidea, um, Nigel, in in the negotiations in securing uh, a contract, um, securing a a, a development. Um, it's uh, you know, at, at the end of the day, we're, we're never calling somebody else's baby ugly. And people smile when they hear that phrase, and, and I do as well. Somebody said it to me 25, 30 years ago. Um, you're never saying to somebody that property, your property is only worth that. You're not saying that at all. You're just saying, with my strategy, you can see that given this and given that and given that, the most I can pay for your property is this. Now, that's a very healthy, respectful way to conduct business. And mm-hmm. um, to actually say, oh, you've overpaid for that or it's never worth that or, well, you know, we, we won't be able to compete um, if we're getting development finance and bringing in private investors. We wouldn't be able to compete with somebody who's got the same type of strategy but is a builder and going to buy it all in cash. 
Um, so sometimes you've got to work out where your competition is and, uh, and, and decide really whether it's, whether it's worthwhile or not. But, um, so that's really, really helpful. I know when you've got those relationships. It, it, it is. I, I was, I even sent an email last night to him, to one of a, a broker I've known for many years and uh, opportunity came up. There's a lovely opportunity in, in Suffolk. It was a beautiful uh, development and, you know, the end product, which had just been stunning, but just couldn't make it stack up. Just can't make it stack up at all, and um, you know, there's a certain threshold. Um, I mean, I, t- to be honest, I tend to put offers in irrespective, but if it's very low compared with the asking, that always follow up with a bit of a call and a, a bit of a talk through. And on this occasion, I thought I'm going to try something different, and I, I just you know, thank the person very much for the opportunity, and just said, you know, we've um, we've had a look at it, and on this occasion, we've, we're not going to take it forward. And that raised a question, oh, why don't you want to take it forward, Nigel? And um, <laughs> he came back and he, you know, I said, well, you know, I just can't get anywhere near to the asking price. And then he came back and said, well, to be honest, I did think it was a bit toppy, the price. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I know. And we kind of, we, we felt like we were having a virtual uh, chat round, uh, having a couple of pints in the bar, you know. Oh, yeah, it was a bit like this, a bit like that. I told and he kept going, I've told him, I've told the bloke that it's it's too expensive, but he just won't listen. And, <laughs> and he and he said to me, he said, well, you know, what what sort of numbers did you get to? And I said, well, you know, roughly speaking, oh, I know exactly what the number was because it was on my screen as I was typing. But, you know, I think they wanted something like 2.2 million for this uh, development with planning. So that's, that's fair enough. Um, and what would work for us would be about 1.85. You know, it's that sort of number. So it's a huge departure, you know, from that aspirational asking price. And uh, he, he <laughs> came back to me and he said, you know what, I've just pulled out my notes from when I, I yeah, we, we got engaged with this, uh, this, this, uh, this party to sell. And um, I've got 1.8 to 1.9 million down in my notes. There you go. And show you in that. So we've got another call today, and I'm going to take him through the DA. And, you know, talk about GDB, talk about cost, talk about fundability of the scheme because that's important because you can't get it funded, irrespective of if you get a yes um, on a deal and you can't get to the finish post. It's not going to get to the finish post. So you know, so we've we've got a call today just to have a chat. And you, you never know where these things do actually go. You know, so it's yeah, quite intriguing. And it's a it's a great point on uh, you know the agents. I mean, the agents are always going to be looking at us, you, you know, as a, a developer, not just the price you're going in on, um, but your ability to convert that and get that over the finishing line. And that that's that's where they get their fees. It's a success based business, isn't it? You know, they walk a mile in their business model. They've got a, a fixed overhead and a variable top line, and um, so. You know, if somebody else, in that case, if somebody else were to put an offer on the table at, at full asking price, two point two, and um, that could waste three months of their time if they can't convert the deal. And how, many, how many deals have we we come second on in the first first running, if you like, and yeah. then uh, had that call to say, look, deal's fallen over. Can you guys step in? Mm, there's not enough fingers. <laughs> um, yeah, no, totally. And you know, and it's it's an interesting take on that as well. We had a particular one, didn't we, in Essex, um, Essex House there, and um, it was very much that case. Um, although it was a, it was off market, and they were, you know, the the agent had gone out to only a few parties, but it felt like a bit of a tender process, you know. 
uh, best bids and you know you had to get your bidding by a certain time on a certain day and all that sort of thing. and unfortunately we it was on a thursday i remember um it was on a thursday we submitted the the bid um uh, and we weren't successful we came in second uh, it was a thursday i remember it because we were going to center box and uh, i think it was on the friday um we were there and i was just whizzing around on me uh, me bike <laughs> and I got I got a call. Um, I was just out on my, on my own, really, just with me, me pods in and got this call. And it was from the broker. Uh, so, sorry, from the agent. And he said, uh, oh, Nigel, uh, you know, remember that deal that, you know, you had came in second? Well, uh, got a bit of good news for you. And he said, uh, you know, unfortunately, the, the other party couldn't couldn't perform. They, they, did a bit of, they did a bit of DD after the event. You know, and looking at funding and, and realised they couldn't get it funded, so they pulled out. And we'd like to accept your offer. And it was it was a bit like um, uh, what offer? Because <laughs> we kind of moved on. You know, we submitted the offer, and that's it. Um, so anyway, anyway, long story short, a bit of horse trading, I suppose. But you know, we secured that deal at circa fifty, sixty thousand pound less than the second prize number just through a bit more negotiation because all of a sudden we were now not in second place. We were actually in first place. So we knew the number that they would accept. Um, so yeah. Yeah. So sometimes coming second is, is not so bad. You just got to wait. And, and, and that, I think that story will relate to many people. The, the point I made earlier on about, um, you know, being confident in the experience that you gained over the experience of life. Um, just looking at some of the names of the people on this uh, call who are live this morning, you know, many of you have been in business for, you know, 10, 20, and in some cases, 30 years or more. Um, and like, like ourselves, Nigel and I have both been in business over 30 years, um, been involved in, you know, I mean, some, some of the contracts were, you know, hundreds of millions. Um, so that negotiation, that discussion, that refinement, those skills, the skills of relationships, uh, of trust, integrity, all those things bringing together. And uh, I think one of the one of the key attributes, Nige, for, 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 for us, and I'm, I'm sure it'd be valuable for everybody else, is, is, is being calm under pressure and you know, not being rushed. We're, we're never rushed by somebody else's agenda, are we? No, no, absolutely. If you're trying to tear up trees and move at a huge fast pace and uh, and at somebody else's pace, you're going to miss the detail. Mm, Collected. And if that means, you know, we'll work quick, don't get me wrong. I mean, our due diligence happens very quick, but it's quite systemized, isn't it? It's not in terms of we're not using BAs and things like that. You know, we've got a system of process um, to, to achieve that. It's, it's, it's so so important. I think the strength of character that you know we, we should have is is the ability to to say stop, you know, just stop, take a step back, review where you are, do some more, maybe a little bit more detail, you know, but be assured when you're going forward. the The worst case scenario, and you know, and I can imagine it's um, it's awfully anxious and a lot of anxiety about just just tumbling ahead into a process and you're not kind of got control of it, you know? So I, I think sometimes just to say no, 
is really important. Not not no as in, right, we're stopping, that's it, but just say, look, there's a bit more work I need to do. You know, just give us a few days and we'll come back to you. But then you're you're in a better place. You've you've got all your evidence there. You can talk with you know, a lot of conviction in terms of what the analysis has, has told you, and then you're in a better place to move forward. But, um, yeah, I think just tumbling from one drama to the next is, is probably not the the best uh, the best way to move these these kind of deals forward, you know. I, I smiled when you, you, you said, you know, sometimes you need to say no. Um, there's a great article. It's a Harvard Business Review article. Um called the, the Power to Say No. And I remember exactly where I was. Um, as, as you well know, I, I used to live in Sydney. I used to look after the Asia-Pac region. Um, and I, I flew back from Sydney to Frankfurt for a board meeting for 24 hours and then jumped on the plane and went back to Sydney. Um, and it was on the on the plane going back, I was reading this article, The, the Power to Say No. And you know, that's You've got to know thyself, know who you are, know your moral compass bearing, know your your strategy um, to be able to say, actually, that doesn't work for me. Um, and we, we see that quite a lot in, in, in our discussions, being able to being able to listen, be considerate of somebody else's point of view, but to actually say, that's, that's really interesting. It, it doesn't work for me, however. But you know, and and then moving on to to something else. Um, so, you know, no can be said in any number of ways, and uh, I think sometimes we we probably are time served in the diplomatic corps. Um, <laughs> so uh, no, without saying no, is that what you're supposed yeah, to do? Yeah. <laughs> As a, just a reminder to everybody, and we've got again a, a fantastic attendance this morning. Thank you so much, everybody. If you do want to ask um, a, a quick question, just type in the chat box. Um, and uh, and we'll we'll uh, try and answer any questions you've got in the few minutes we've got remaining. Hopefully you're enjoying this this episode this morning on on due diligence, and it's great to see so many of our our friends, mentees, and and business associates here as well. So uh, hope you're enjoying it. Great, great. Yeah, I think um, I think deals as well. How are we doing for time? Are we we're okay? We've got a little yeah, bit. Yeah, we're good. We're, um, yeah, I think. Um, you know, simulate, anticipate, etc. is is relevant. Um, I think cash flow is is a, you know, that's modelling through the journey. The, the the DA and the numbers is kind of the front end bit. You know, does it work? Negotiation around the, the purchase price, but then to simulate the journey month by month, uh, it, it has to be a simulation. It can't be. You know, it's, it isn't the truth because you're not there. It's it's in the future. But to try and simulate, you know, look at that cycling just make sure that there's enough private capital coming in uh, and this is whether you're whether you're an investor or you're a developer looking for investment it's equally as important we need to make sure there's enough cash in there to to s- sustain the life of um, the opportunity so so that's really important um i, I think and, and also to to look at exit strategies so we've We've simulated the front end. We've done the DD around the front end. We've, we've again, we've simulated the journey through cash flow, and now we're anticipating the exit. Um, you know, what is the exit? And really understand if it's if it's refinance and hold. So all, everybody gets paid back through that mechanism. That's that's great. You know, it could be maybe a combination of hold and sell. So we kind of rely on a little bit on the well, a fair bit on the uh, open market, but also. Uh, on the financial institutions, or it could be just a complete sell. 
and and each one has its own um nuance really in terms of additional dd you know if, if it's a cell then clearly you know we need to just make sure we've got enough time to sell um, because that time you know sorry that that time including the um um in, including the duration for the construction um plus maybe a bit at the front end is essentially the loan facility you know from the from the lender we need to make sure that we've got enough time what we don't want to ever get to a position of hitting that that exit date you know for the loan otherwise you're into new loans refinancing and very very expensive and that can wipe out uh you know mass swathes of profit which is not what we want um if we are holding uh, that's that's great news um you know we can do that within a very short period of time after construction um maybe within a month or two you know with everything being finished following valuations and and credit approval and and the transaction elements that can be done quite quick like refinancing because that kind of bookends it you know bookends that process and investors lenders can get um, get paid back um, on time which is great yeah. but it's understanding the terms of that and um you know I mean, we've done a lot of work recently, Mark, haven't we, on um, looking at debt service cover ratios and things like that and just making sure the rentability is enough to cover the debt um, from looking through the, the eyes of a bank to make sure this expected 75% loan to value or whatever it is, is actually achievable. So there's all these these sort of processes, you know, we need to we need to think about. Um and you know, so that's that's really important. And I think just finally, if if it isn't, if it, the exit is via refinancing, um, there may be a situation where yes, the bank will take you so far. This is kind of the institutional long-term buy-to-let type mortgages that will take you so far, but there is still a gap. Um, so the question could be, well, where's that money coming from? You know, um, because you, you you know, and these are the questions to ask consider and so on and so forth and you know that might drive you into a strategy of actually yes you do want to hold them but you might have to sell a couple you know to generate the cash to fill that fill that gap so i think i think that's uh, that's quite important to consider but yeah. you know you know looking at your your what if scenarios as well um bit of scenario testing you know what if the costs go up what if the gdp goes down if programs delayed or prolonged uh, or extended or kind of all of the above so again the da gives you that ability ability and a bit of a sandpit environment to um to do some scenario testing which is uh, very important that, that stress testing the model is really important and uh, again many people might stress test on a single plane but if you get multiple planes going in the wrong direction, if your cost goes up your time scales go out and the gdv goes down you know you've got three factors there Three of the core variables. Um, we've got uh, got a question here from from Patsy. Good morning to you, Patsy. Hope you're well. Um, and uh, to paraphrase the question, it's uh, it's about uh, about the different stages of of uh, development appraisal. Um, before we go into the detail, are there ways that we can do a quick ready reckoner, uh, a, a quick check before we spend that time and energy going into the into the more detailed uh, appraisal stage. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. I, get, I think it, it depends on your exit. So what you want to do, if you want to refinance and clear all the costs out, clearly the margins have to be at a certain minimum level. Um, if the um, 
you know, if the exit uh, process is uh, via the cell, okay, so that, that's absolutely fine. Um, so you sell everything, you know, generate the profits, et cetera, et cetera. So that, that's fine. But then understanding probably more over what the bank's minimum criteria is for profit. You know, you can then do a very quick reverse calculation to, to get a feel. Once you've got a gross development value, so you can understand when everything's been developed or your, your, your portfolio in a box, if you like, has been generated, be it what, whatever it is, or you bought the land and you build the houses, or, you know, it could even be commercial or or whatever, whatever that value is once it's completed, um, as a you know, as a ratio, you can create a ratio then between GDP and purchase price and just see how far um you are in or out of that threshold can be a useful process. It's a real difficult one because what what concerns me with those termed ready reckoners is you might miss an opportunity. Um I I gave you the example of a huge departure from the asking to what we could pay and a conversation that is evolving. Um, if I'd done a ready reckoner, you know, and gone, oh, we're miles out, we'll just ditch the opportunity. Maybe the opportunity wouldn't be here today. So so I, I get a bit nervous around ready reckoners. I know others do it. Um, and, you know, that's absolutely fine. But uh, just personally speaking, I just prefer to dive into the detail and, okay, it's 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 time that could be wasted, but equally, it, it's time that could be very well spent and lead into an opportunity that can generate hundreds of thousands of pounds. So, yeah, I think it's that, that confidence in our own strategy that, um, you know, that, that phrase, other people's opinions are none of our business. Well, we don't really care what somebody else thinks they want for the property. We're focused on what is the best price we can give for that yeah. property, given our strategy at this moment in time. Um, yeah, if you think of some of the developments we've 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 secured in the past and, and successfully completed, and that's over seventy million in in GDV, uh, probably probably a whole lot more than that. Actually, we need to update those figures. Um, I mean, sometimes there's been what, thirty odd percent, forty percent discount sometimes um, to what the original offer has been, and the original offer, as you've said, from from an agent's perspective. Sometimes the agent can't even fathom how they came up with that number. No. Um, you know, I, th- I think I think many will agree on this uh, of our listeners that you know sometimes a vendors can be very sophisticated and very knowledgeable. Sometimes they're possibly living, you know, in 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 numbers of two years ago um, or, or what somebody else told them down the pub. So best to disregard that. And uh, just put your, your best foot forward with your strategy at that time. Absolutely, and, and possibly worry and look a little bit deeper into what your numbers are saying if if you are actually hitting the asking price. Because you know the, the law or the strategy or the psychology around selling is you don't put the price forward that you want. You put a higher price to come down to that number. Every that's the psychology of selling. So. If all of a sudden in the first pass you're you're at that number, well, you probably just need to look a little bit deeper, be a bit more inquisitive around maybe value or cost. Have you got all the costs in? Have you got all the value? Is it to the right level? Um, you know, and I, I can't even think, Mark, over even at our years where we've actually bought something at the asking price. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, just a, a final question from Susan, one of our mentees. Hi, Susan. Hope you're well. Doing some great eco-sustainability 
um, stuff out there. Well done. Um, Susan asked the question um, on following up. When you get a refusal um, from, from an agent, um, how do you open that conversation with the agents? I think uh, Susan's going to be finding that the agents aren't giving her feedback on why it wasn't successful or, or where others' numbers were. And I can understand that because the the, the, the accepted offer hasn't mm. actually been concluded yet. So um, absolutely, absolutely, and and we'll all we'll all hear the words. Oh, sorry, it's been sold. Well, it hasn't been sold. It only gets sold when it's gone through a long and arduous process of conveyancing. Um, you know, there's been secondary, you know, third level, fourth level due diligence by all the counterparties. Um, and it, you know, potentially it could only take one aspect that comes up and the whole thing falls apart. So no, it's not sold. Um, all that's happened is that the the, uh, the seller and the, the buyer have agreed a number at that point in time, and then they're into, into the next phase. So, Number one, you know, always stay in the game. Um, you know, contact the contact the agent if you can understand. You know, the delta. Sometimes they won't give it, but just just be firm with the fact. You know, yours is you've followed a process, a methodology. You've looked through the, you know, the the valuers and the and the QS. Um, we've looked through their rise in the due diligence. You know, they're going to be reporting to the bank. You know, we feel that our price is fundable, absolutely fundable. We don't think any anything more is. Question puts a doubt in their mind, but just just be there, just be there. Keep checking in, maybe every couple of weeks, um, if nothing else. I mean, I, <laughs> we've had deals. Unfortunately, yes, they have got sold. Okay, so that's fair enough. But the process of continually keeping contact with that agent just to spun out other opportunities so you know just keep it open keep everything open you know almost bit a bit matter of fact um you know really sorry on this one have you got another one you know let's look at the next one the next one could be even better so you know let's let's jump on to the the great opportunities and um, but you know they do come back i think statistically um I've heard, I don't know this source and whether it's it's true, but kind of 70 to 80% of de- all deals don't go through. They get a yes, but they fall out of bed. So so on that statistic, it's worth staying in the in the game, isn't it, Mark? Definitely. Definitely. You've got to be in the game. Um, got to be. So I've just put a link there. Um, somebody just sent me a private note there. Um, how do we get a chat with, with you guys? So there's a link there. If you're interested in, in mentorship, um, uh, and uh, joining Equa Academy, then you can click on the link there and uh, I'll have half an hour with you and uh, we can have a chat and see if that, that works for you. Um be great to get to know you a little bit better. Um, so due diligence, Nigel, I mean, we could go on and we probably would do if we had time, um, but we're now out of time. So uh, we've got a glittering array of special guests coming up in the, in the weeks ahead um, and we'll be announcing a few more things. So been a busy week so thank you for the support get your copy of property and SaaS secrets uh book on amazon now and uh yeah thank you so much nigel for all your input on due diligence and i think everybody's waiting with bated breath for uh for version 59 to come out of your equity and brilliant brilliant have a great day everybody great day take care everyone bye-bye bye-bye Thank you for listening to the Property Portfolio Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode and that it inspired you on the next leg of your journey. 
If you've got any questions or comments, why not reach out to us at our Facebook page, Equa Academy. Also, don't forget to register for free access to hundreds of property development videos and templates over at equaacademy.co.uk. And we'll see you in next week's episode. Thank you.